Hi, welcome to Pulling the Threads, a podcast dedicated to understanding the story behind our clothes. I'm your host, Jancy Quinn, and this podcast will follow my adventures in learning more about sustainable apparel and exploring how we can all have beautiful things without harm. I'm a reformed fashion addict and over-shopper, but also a lifelong sewer, maker, and lover of the outdoors and our environment. A few years ago, I realized that as beautiful as fashion can make you feel, the industry can be pretty ugly for the people who make our clothes and for the planet. I'm now on a mission to learn about what it means to have eco-friendly, mindful, sustainable, or socially conscious apparel, whichever term you prefer. My goal with this podcast is that we'll learn together, share ideas, and talk about the positive changes we can all make. I'm not into shaming or name calling. I wanna celebrate the bold innovations happening in the industry and share small steps that we can all make as we learn more about the items we put on our bodies every day. I'm excited to take you on this adventure with me. We'll do everything from visit farms and talk to innovative founders to visiting factories and even the brands that you wear. So let's get started and pull the first thread. As I've been thinking about my brand, um, you know, I'm making t-shirts and sweaters. It's not, I'm not changing the world and the things that I'm making, but I, I have been committed to wanting to make them be more special in some way. And I think knowing more about where the things come from and being more part of that process is part of the way of, of imparting that kind of specialness to them, whether it's through telling the story of where the things came from or, you know, being able to, uh, feature you know the the partners that are helping you get there but the great community that takes to make anything Mm -hmm. uh, is has been such a lovely part of this process in general I'm not you know sending my things away overseas you know an unknown face sending things to some other unknown faces to make things like I have more personal relationships with the people who are making the things that I'm that I'm producing and, and I think that that's something lovely that that you don't get with a lot of the other clothes that you buy. I'm your host, Jancy Quinn, founder of It Matters Wear, a consulting company dedicated to circular and sustainable apparel and host of Pulling the Threads. Today, I'm talking with Shonda Boyette from Boyette Clothing and Marissa Taylor from Lone Tree Ranch. I've known Marissa for over 15 years. She's an organic cattle rancher in Wyoming. Shonda, also a good friend and former colleague of mine, is the owner and founder of Boyette Clothing Company. I love this episode because it blends together two different but intersecting worlds. I had caught up with Marissa on a Monday when she happened to talk about a new venture she had with 100 cashmere goats. Three days later, I was having coffee with Shonda to learn more about her new apparel company. And while we were talking, She started telling me how she is trying to source and make everything in the U.S., but was finding it impossible to source cashmere domestically. Well, as my brain loves to make connections, I immediately thought there was some kismet here. Fast forward only six weeks later, and we were on our way to Lone Tree Ranch in Wyoming for the annual brushing of Marissa's cashmere goats to learn about goats, cashmere, apparel production, and to see what it would take to make a sweater for Boyette clothing from the goats on Lone Tree Ranch. And well, Let's pull this thread and let Shonda and Marissa tell you their stories. I'm Shonda Boyette, and I am the founder of Love My Boyfriend Clothing, which is a a women's wear line inspired by your boyfriend's closet. Uh, My name is Marissa Taylor. I live and work on my family's 
ranch in Southwest Wyoming were predominantly uh, organic grass-fed cattle ranchers, but we do have a herd of cashmere goats, which brings us all together. I love it. The goats are amazing. Um, so earlier today we got to see all of the goats and we did a ton of things. Um, Shonda, I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about like your journey in starting Love My Boyfriend Clothes, um, kind of how you got started and you know some of the challenges you faced. Uh, there are probably three inputs into going on this journey. I have a regular job uh, working as a, a marketing manager for a technology company. About a couple of years ago, I started my boyfriend and I started toying with the idea of having our own business and we we've talked about, you know, opening up a a, a roving bodega in Hawaii or um having a, a taco truck somewhere. Um and but we started talking about maybe having a, a a clothing store in Seattle where we live, something that would enable us to maybe have more time with our son as he gets older and you know you want we want to be there for all those things and and the technology market in Seattle it's very easy to get caught up in the more 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 faster you know make more money get more promotions all of that stuff and I think we were just looking dreaming I guess more about opportunities to slow down so that was one input another input was uh I'd actually at one point after that discussion started quit my job and was kind of searching around for something else to do and thinking more and more about what that would be and thinking that I couldn't just sit around. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was time to start making what, what at the time was just called boyfriend more of a reality. Somewhat just to have something to do and talk about and not, again, I didn't want to just be spinning my wheels during the time that I had off. Um, so I started thinking more, more about that. And then the other thing that had been going on for about a year was that I'd been searching for the perfect slouchy cashmere boyfriend sweater, something that didn't wasn't too body hugging, but was high quality, was 100% cashmere, and I couldn't find it at any price point. Uh, Banana Republic or J Crew one had had a version a few years back that was close to what I was looking for, but still not quite right. But they were they weren't making them anymore. And so I was just scouring the internet all the time, searching for that. And so that kind of coalesced with this idea of having a, a store. And then I was like, well, I could just make, I could make these things. And so it started with, with the sweater. I love it that, you know, you just identified this, this total need and then started down this journey. I'll just make my own with a complete naivete, right? So not knowing anything about that side of the business or what needed to happen, um, just kind of decided to jump in and began doing some research about those things. But from the very beginning, finding materials in the U.S. and making things in the U.S. was important to me. And I can't say that I had like some grand reason that I wanted to save the world or that I was really into sustainability or any of those things. It, it just felt right. Like I, I have pride in my country and um, I, I just wanted to, to do things here. And, and so it made sense to try and focus on that. I also thought it would be good from a, you know, a branding perspective and would help set it apart from other things. So that was one of the other, um, one of the inputs into wanting to source things from the United States. And it's easy to do if you are making things like t-shirts, which was actually the first thing I decided to start with because it seemed easier. 
mm-hmm. than trying to knit cashmere, have, have cashmere sweaters knit. Um, and so, yeah, you can find cotton anywhere. Uh, I, I got mine from Los Angeles, and you can find denim anywhere. I got mine also from Los Angeles. But when I was looking at finding the cashmere, I couldn't find any, I couldn't source any in the United States. And so we had to look to Mongolia for that. So you've been able to produce everything in the States, source all your materials, except for cashmere was the difficult piece. Right. And um, we know each other from our former ad agency lives, um, and that's when we were touching up on these, our side hustles, our interests, um, that that came into the conversation, that the only thing you couldn't source was cashmere. And you said? (laughs) I'm like, well, I have this amazing friend, Melissa, (laughs) who I think and I made up a number, 100 cashmere goats, and I wasn't even sure at the moment that they were cashmere goats, but I was pretty convinced. Um, so we, right after we got done in the coffee shop, I immediately called Marissa, I was just like, so, and we always have these, you know, brainstorm ideas. Um, but I wonder, before we like dive into that, Marissa, can you tell us a little bit about like what you're doing at Lone Tree? Like, I know you guys were Wyoming Landowners of the Year last year, and Filson and Stetson have come here to do stories about you. What makes Lone Tree Ranch unique? We are ranchers, but I don't know that we're that unique. I just think that we have a really um, complementary set of skills amongst our family. Mm-hmm. And so we might be able to bridge the story better than other ranchers or easier maybe not better but easier than other ranchers I really believe that all nearly all farmers and ranchers are doing very similar things to the land that we're doing just by nature they ranchers and farmers are humble mother nature keeps us that way and so they aren't very good at self-advocating and at telling a story and so uh, we say that ranching, or our form of ranching, is a mix of a, an art and science, which I think is a, a metaphor that resonates with a lot of people. And my dad brings the science. He's a veterinarian by training and by profession. Um, he sold his practice uh, in the mid-2000s and then looked for a ranch of bigger operation, a bigger scale than what we had when I was growing up, and found Lone Tree. And then uh, Zach, now my husband, started managing for him. And Zach really brings the art of ranching. And so he feels it, whereas my dad and me and others learn it. There's a different approach. Uh, They they complement each other really well because my dad can find the science or search for the experts and Zach feels what the ground and the cattle and the and mother nature is telling him and then responds accordingly wow and then i this is like wrap them together <laughs> and then you know make them sit for a felson picture or <laughs> something like that so we have a complementary skill set that might make us unique but what we do for job like for our jobs is um we raise cattle but probably more fundamentally we um raise grass and, and probably even more critical is we manage sort of for soil health. So that 
soil health and um, the soil biome is a really important tool for us and area of focus. When the soil's healthy, the grasses are healthy, and the grasses are healthy, the animals are healthy, and you you need the animals to make healthy grass and to make healthy soil. And so, surprisingly, Mother Nature has this great circle, and and managing that um, and being witness to that is really is really what we do. We raise or organic cattle. Mm-hmm. Most of them go into the grass-fed market, um, and we have this side hustle sort of <laughs> of cashmere goats and so they, how did like how did that come to be so you're a cattle ranch yeah how did the goats get here well i wasn't had moved back to the ranch at the time of this decision but i think my dad thought it would be fun and like a fun <laughs> project for my mom and so as i've heard the story go the trailer uh, load of 10 cashmere nanny goats and two cashmere billy goats sort of arrived on the doorstep when like saturday morning mm-hmm. and my dad's like look surprise and my mom looked at him like what have you done <laughs> what are these she's like i like to knit but that's not the same as like raising goats and so um they when they released everybody they had released they released everybody together so then the nannies and the billies were mixed and then I believe they just sort of disappeared on the ranch. Like they just ran and they looked for them for a period of time or, you know, sort of didn't go. I don't think how my dad had envisioned it going. Both of my mom being like, oh, I love the goats. And then the goats being like, we'll hang out wherever we want. So there was a bit of a um, adventure when they first arrived. But since then they had babies right away because the billies and you know, the nannies were mixed. Uh, our herd like quadrupled in not very long of time. And so we now sit at about 100 cashmere goats. We have been brushing them through the years at the time when they release their fiber, but haven't really had an, an outlet or even a uh, like a push to mm-hmm. do much with a cashmere. And the whole textile industry around fiber and especially like hair fiber which is different than wool fiber is not as accessible as I would have thought it to be mm-hmm. here and so the the sort of next stage of fiber is a adventure to be had um, a fiber production but we keep the goats um some days I'm not sure why but we keep the goats uh and they are part, you know, they're part of our program. They also serve as a really great weed management tool for our organic certification. Mm-hmm. But um, so does that that means you don't need to use pesticides or you don't need to use like herbicides? So we have a small herd of goats, but comparatively to our cows, it's very very small. And you can have two sheep for every cow that you have on your ranch with no change in forage availability for your cows so like say you have 100 cows you could run 200 sheep and not take away any food from the cows because they eat different things and the same goes for the goat and i know i'll have to get back to you on the exact ratio of how many goats to cows that you can run but we've always kept the small herd of goats and it started as a hobby to understand the cashmere and then it's become a tool for us to 
to utilize for the management of our organic certification. So as part of the organic certification, we can't uh, have any herbicide or pesticide use on the land that the cows graze from or are pastured on. But we still have to manage the weeds. So the, the organic certification standard doesn't say you can't use that and you can't do anything. It says you can't use that, but you still should proactively manage your weeds. And they mostly want to see how you are proactively managing your weeds because they don't believe that you have got none. You know, sure. like there's not like they're not going to say, oh, yeah, it's a miracle. You don't do anything and you have no weeds. And it's for sure true the better holistic management that you're doing, so better grazing management, better soil management you're doing, the more desirable grasses that you'll be producing. There is correlation there, but not none. That's not normally the way. So they want to know what you're doing instead. And so goats have provided that tool for us to put them on specifically like a leafy spurge is a type of weed that's really invasive and really hard to kill even with chemicals but goats love it at a certain stage of production so you know, we can put them in the area where there is leafy spurge and they'll eat that and then help you know help mitigate those consequences so they they kind of serve another purpose, but it's really exciting that they might have, you know, there maybe is an outlet for exploring what it's like on the fiber side of right. the life. They are quite beautiful animals and the fiber that they produce is, yeah, it's really it's amazing. I mean, it's cashmere. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone's favorite thing. Um, but it's not very common. Shonda, where have you been sourcing, like you found it's impossible to source your cashmere in the U.S. Where does it come from? It comes primarily from... Mongolia and China and they're what we've come to understand is that those places are better set up to um, to take the fibers to the next level and so being able to go to a, um, a mill to get them turned into yarn is a much easier thing there than it is here so Marissa and I have both been wrestling with these challenges on different sides of the, the delivery of uh, a cashmere sweater so you know, she's been challenged with how do you get the, the hair that we have turned into the yarn, and I've been challenged with trying to find the yarn. So um, we've sort of come together with each other here with our discrete challenges and are now, you know, trying to figure out if there's a way we can turn those those common challenges in, into something that benefit both of us. But yeah, there's so the brushing is different than shearing, and that labor is really intense. So it was one thing we had 10, you know, sure. like we could casually brush... But now that we're you know, closer to 100, that's not just like a weekend job. Mm-hmm. And these aren't, I mean, these are 200 and yeah. something pound They're goats. Big goats. They're, yeah. They, they have a mind of their own. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it requires some facilities and infrastructure. So it's a really doable, like, hobby where you could pay more to have the cashmere made into yarn than the goat is worth itself. Which is great for hobby. Like that's not a that's it's a hobby and that's a sort of. A, but it's a pretty expensive hobby instead of just going and buying exactly yarn. exactly like it, the the numbers don't crunch. So they goats serve a great purpose for us as weed tools, and we like having them most of the time when they stay <laughs> where they're supposed to be. But but it, when we talk about going to this next level, then there's new challenges as the herd gets bigger, and one of them is the brushing labor. 
And another is the mill, where they take um, the hair and they, uh, or they take the wool or the down Mm -hmm. and separate it from the guard hairs. That's a really critical step that I'm finding is like a key component where there are mills that can do some of the other stuff, but they can't take the D, the D hair. So we have found one in Michigan that we're, you know, is it maybe a good next step for us to send the cashmere that we have now? Um, but still working through those numbers and how that works to go not to like a full, full commercial scale, but not a hobby scale either. That mm-hmm. sort of jump between, um, my, like 10 goats that we might make, you know, we've jo- I've joked with my husband, like he gets the first blanket because <laughs> he has to deal with the headaches. And so maybe if he had a cashmere blanket, he could see the, like how great they are. Right. I'm not even sure that would do it, but they, the fiber is, um, the fiber is really amazing. So even from just brushing them, you can already feel the luxuriousness of them. And, and yeah. I mean, they, they're goats, they're outside They're There's, brambles and they're they're scraggly but then you brush that out in and my you know hour of experience I got today um but then immediately it's it's so lovely yeah it's um it is really amazing people ask like oh I don't think it cold and then all you have to do is like hold a little bit of their fiber in your hand and it's instantly warmer and somehow it's like instantly not hot either like it's it's a natural fiber. It's exactly right. designed to do that for the animals. So they don't get cold, but when they release it, if we're able to capture it, when they're done with it, it's a pretty neat system how that could all work. Well, certainly there's there's a lot of labor involved in brushing the goats out versus, I mean, we're not we're not shearing them really quickly with some sort of a, a electric shears or something like that. You're You're physically there with the goat you know, holding on to it. Sometimes it would rather be somewhere else and, you know, brushing it out with these combs. And so you're getting really close and intimate with the animal that um, you're going to use the fibers from to make the things. Um, So it was just a, a, I don't know, a life lesson in, in just connecting more with, with the world and the earth and and how something is made. And I, I think that, Connect, connectedness or spirituality or whatever um, that Marissa was talking about with her husband. Um, I mean, not to get too hokey or anything, but uh, as I've been thinking about my brand, um, you know, I'm making t-shirts and sweaters. It's not, I'm not changing the world and, and the things that I'm making, but I, I have been committed to wanting to make them be more special in some way. And I think knowing more about where the things come from and being more a part of that process is part of the way of, of imparting that kind of specialness to them, whether it's through telling the story of where the things came from or, you know, being able to uh, feature, you know, the, the partners that are helping you get there. The great community that it takes to make anything mm-hmm. uh, is has been such a lovely part of this process in general. I'm not sending my things away overseas you know, an unknown face sending things to some other unknown faces to make things. Like, I have more personal relationships with the people who are making the things that I'm that I'm producing. And, and I think that that's something lovely that, that you don't get with a lot of the other clothes that you buy. Yeah. Um, and so that connection, I think, is something that I... 
maybe I was striving for and didn't know mm-hmm. I was striving toward it so much, but certainly experienced it today in spades and, and just, you know, holding a goat while you're brushing its hair. It's a very intimate thing that you're doing. I love it because it's like I'm a curious student of sustainable apparel and, you know, it seems like the biggest problem is fast fashion, disposable fashion, and just seeing how thoughtful you are with the items you're producing. And, you know, it's really slow fashion, caring about where it comes from, learning what's behind it. It just, it seems that if more fashion brands took your care and thought in what they were producing and creating kind of timeless pieces, it could make such a difference. There's a trade-off there. I mean, I get why people like fast fashion. And I I think for both of us, we're not a giant conglomerate with a lot of money for research and development. You know, we are, these are our, kind of our side hustles. And, you know, I, I'm not able to um, produce things at the scale that would make them more affordable to people when they buy them. So I'm doing very small batch. And as a result... Um, each unit costs me more, no matter what. Whether I get it from the U.S. or anywhere, um, it, to produce that is going to cost me more because I'm making so few. I'm not a, a big, giant, multinational company who's making thousands of pieces in multiple colors at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, at this point, I'm making three garments with a, a few others in the works and paying for the, the, that production with my savings. So my biggest hurdle is capital. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as it is a side hustle, a little bit of it is also time because there's my regular job that pays me well and my family who would like to see me um, and all those things. So uh, those are the money and time are the, are the big hurdles that I, that I face right now. And it seems like trying to be thoughtful in your production, you at some point have to make some calls. Like, you, you want everything to be a certain way, but I'm sure there's points along the way where you just have to proceed with sourcing your cashmere from another country or, okay, well, I need to, you know, we can't make it in Seattle, so you're going to New York. Like, there's just decisions you have to make to keep moving. Decisions you have to make, and <clears throat> I haven't had to make too many, I haven't had to make any that I, that really I felt badly about. I mean, I... That's incredible. Like, there wasn't any cashmere here, so I... You know, I, I can't make it up from nothing, but if I can find that, that source, I'm definitely going to go after it. Yeah, for us, that it's came from a love of knitting and so luck, like misguided do-gooding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but out of all the other animals you could have brought here, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, my dad got them for my mom because she likes to knit. It's sort of un... In like a very <laughs> loving, a, yeah, very loving partner type of way, thinking that that was gonna, you know, match. But Shonda, why cashmere? I was really focused on the quality. I wanted, I wanted to have something that I could wear and use and and love for a long time. That would that that felt great. I mean, it, it feels wonderful. It keeps you warm. I live in Seattle, where that's more important to me than it was when I was growing up in Texas where it, it wasn't that cold. But it really was just about something that would last. I, I wanted it to last. And I wanted to make something that was, that had high quality for for someone. I, I didn't want to be a person who was making things that weren't the best they could be. Amazing. And I think the cashmere fiber is the warmest and the most durable. 
oddly enough. Amazing. And maybe the softest. So I, I love the potential opportunity here. Like you guys are both dear friends of mine from different places in my life. What would it look like to make this happen? Like what would a next step be? You know, there's an, I love creative problems. You know, on one hand it's like Shonda can't source cashmere domestically. And Marissa on the other hand, can't have her cashmere processed in the U.S. But there's a clear need to buy domestic cashmere. So what would happen next? We have um, some stored cashmere and it's, you know, right now is the season for brushing. And so we'll have, you know, new cashmere from uh, the from the current herd. And so we have identified a, a mill that can mill the cashmere. And so it would be um, some investigating on price, you know, like mm -hmm. what exactly that's gonna going to look like and then what we're trying to produce so there are some technical things in how on the kind of yarn and the color and the dye and the or or no dye mm -hmm. and the weight of what we're doing so sort of just some technical aspects um to then creating a test product to see if it holds up and i think if you were to prove that that was doable then then there's like a whole next phase of an enterprise launch where you then make sure that the cashmere that we're producing is as good as the cashmere that you can get anywhere and so that would be you know herd genetics for our cashmere goats and what it looks like to expand that goat herd here you know which for us fits in well with um, incorporating multi-species grazing into our the way that we're caring for the land and using the goats for things like um, willow encroachment. So where mm. a type of willow is moving beyond um, streams and rivers into fields and man sort of managing for what we want the landscape to look like and utilizing goats to do that. Um, but that's a pretty big investigation. That's a pretty big jump, but something that is sort of, Far enough away that it seems like a lot of work, but close enough that you can get excited about it and have some really real opportunity there. It's pretty cool because you know you look at Mongolia or China; they have all of the infrastructure in place. It's yeah. a well-oiled machine, but it would be so incredible to see if you could create something yeah. and maybe not make it the world's most expensive sweater too. Like, yeah, could you create it in a, a way that? allows you to do it financially as well. The idea about connecting humans mm -hmm. in general, whether it's to a garment or to their food, um, it, connecting them in a way that brings them back to soil and land and place is something that I think there are a lot of people searching for and not in a not in a like elitist way where you want to get seen at the coolest grocery store or um, in a way that's sort of fad oriented with um, being green or mm -hmm. those things. I think that there's a sort of a fundal, fundamental part of humans that needs connection and connection yeah. to the earth. And, you know, in the human history, it's not been a very long period of time that humans haven't been more, re individually been more reliant on w what we can produce and 
there are so many people that come to visit us that come because they want to be part of or have an experience with making something or building something. Mm -hmm. And in, in conjunction with Mother Nature and the Earth and... Oh, it sounds like a little deep. It's not. It's just we need it. I think we need it. And so whether it, it connecting people to a place with a garment, um, that's something tangible that they can feel. And you know, some of the goats are critically important to the Mongolian climate, and they are doing, I'm sure, regenerative agriculture in Mongolia uh, as good as we are here. But I don't. I don't have know that but I would estimate that those goats are doing really good things for the soil and the grass is there and so that's that's a great resource Mm -hmm. but being able to do it here at home and have that connection because just of proximity it's closer and it's more tangible and so it by being able to touch it and feel it and see it and relate to it it's a different kind of connection back to country than hearing a story about a rancher or farmer abroad that's doing amazing work that you want to support. I grew up in a, a small town in East Texas. My family owned a restaurant. And maybe that is where this connection part of me, even though, you know, I'm the one who's moved away from all of that. The rest of my family lives there. and um, But I, I think that sense of community and wanting to be a part of something and that was kind of one of the epicenters for our community, people coming into our mm-hmm. restaurant and yep. seeing us there. Um, I, I like this idea so much of, of you know, if we're able to make this cashmere connection happen, I love the idea of knowing all about it. And I've enjoyed so much the, the other partners that I have and the work that I do, um, knowing them and understanding them and we're, you know, we're helping each other. And so I, I think those those connections to the earth and to the community. And I think those things make it stronger. And I think you can still have that fashion connection. Because it'll look good. Because it, yeah. it will look good. And yeah. uh, and you can still make it fun and it can still be about expressing yourself and that fashion part of yourself. And again, I'm making basic things. How mm-hmm. We did a photo shoot the other week and one of the models paired this cashmere sweater, the the sample that I have on with this like flowy, um, flowy ballet dancer skirt and it was so fantastic and I just loved seeing her expression of how she saw these two different textures coming together and it was whimsical and magical and all those things and so I love being able to connect those two worlds more and I I've been talking to Jancy a little bit too about am I I must be crazy to have undertaken this this weird idea like who am I to to think that I could do it and it really does come down a lot to all of these people that I've met that make it seem possible and you know not crazy and you can either thank them or blame them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think like I, yeah. you guys have both touched on it. It's like the power of connections is everything and you know, getting closer to the earth and what's behind all of our things, not just like mindlessly buying things. It's pretty amazing. Even if even if none of this works out for me and I mean my son is here, my, my yeah. boyfriend is here with me on Lone Tree Ranch and my son is getting to see all of these things and I, I mean I hadn't traveled anywhere until I was a teenager practically and 
he's getting all these great experiences and that is meaningful. Okay. So it's worthwhile just because of all of these connections that we've been able to build. That. Dr. Mark Hyman is like a functional medicine guy that doctor that I follow um, and appreciate some of the yeah. information that he puts out and his team created this wellness wheel and for some reason it spoke to me and it stuck with me and one of the pieces so there's I think there's eight different pieces that make um, or influence how we feel our best and one of the things is community and one of the things is purpose and so yeah. That's interesting. I mean, you brought brought up like this feeds me, like this feels like a good purpose, and then it's also part of a community, which is what we need to be well. And for me, you know, that back to that connection to nature is probably part of that. That it it's easy to feel good about doing participating in agriculture in a way that feeds so many people's purpose and community and sort of in some way like takes it back and brings it forward mm-hmm. well because it's like we're it's the devices we're ever we're more connected than ever but we're so yeah, disconnected. exactly and it's like this false connection and i think that's why so many people are like depressed they like want real real connection like yep yeah yeah totally. i read um blue zones you know where like concentrated areas where people live to be centarians yeah that common traits so super similar to that wheel that you're talking about marissa um they looked at similar traits of people that live in to their hundreds and concentrated areas and it's community a sense of purpose like belonging are such important things yep i also think it's so interesting like all three of us have had like really big girl corporate jobs you know big (laughs) big things um careers and we've all segued into more like tangible we want to create something that's about connecting people and making something. You both have side hustles on side hustles on side hustles. This would be yet another. It almost seems like this would be on top of Shonda creating your clothing line, Marissa running a ranch and sitting on boards and, you know, both of you, you know, um, having families and children. What would it, what do you guys think of taking this on as well? Like investigating, creating a cashmere kind of supply chain. I mean, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm absolutely like nothing. We'll just make some calls. Yeah, it'll it's be, be fine. So easy. You don't. I, yeah, I will, you, say the overcommit. We are all overcommitters. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I say yes, and then I get home. My husband's like, "All right." <laughs> now, what have you done? Yeah, but um, I actually think that there are some really um, doable steps in like you know working with a mill and getting a test batch made that our minimal commitment to give us a lot of information so we're slightly less blissful but a little bit more knowledgeable in how you would take this forward I, I think there are such great opportunities there I, I see the whole other side of it where you know we, we get the yarn and we're, we're trying to get it into the sweaters and then how you how you help tell the story about that how you co-market mm-hmm all of the the people who contribute to the production of the thing um i I just see that as being such a strong story to tell so from my end of you know getting it and making the thing like i i have my my patterns now for at least the the first garment maybe it turns into you know all all the things you want to make out of cashmere but I, i have this wonderful sweater pattern and um you take that and you weave the story into it 
and you know hopefully there's this this strong appetite from people in the world other people just like us who are who are wanting what they do to matter more and that can be in in the choices that they're making and what they buy and I, I mean I think one of the only things that I that I wish is that I could make these cashmere shirts or cashmere sweaters which I I really want them to be quality pieces. I wish I could make them more accessible to more people. So that would be one of the things that I would want to look at over time. Maybe that comes with growth and they're able to, you know, reduce the price because of economies of scale. Or maybe there's some other thing, some other scheme we come up with that, uh, you know, helps you figure out ways that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, but I think being focused on quality and, and having seen so many cashmere sweaters that were less than optimal quality Mm -hmm. if someone is going to spend a lot of money investing in the thing that you make I want them I want them to have it for a long time and to love it and I I think one of the worst things when you do invest in something and you do love it as a piece of clothing that you wear and get value out of that it doesn't last as long as you would like it to so uh, the other side of this is let's make beautiful things that people can wear for a long time and you know, I, I nobody talked about Marie Kondo two years ago, and but but really, I want people to be able to get joy out of the things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the cashmere sweater that I made that I'm wearing, I freaking love it, and it does bring me joy. And I, you know, want more of them, and I want more people to have them. I think that the when you talk about the story and like putting together a story that people would want, you know. To, to buy or to hear it's not as much the story it is that it's true yes it's the it's 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 the truth so um we've noticed that with you know whether it be a stetson photo shoot um for a friend uh that the pictures resonate because it's not a photo shoot they're just taking some pictures of us doing what we do and that that authenticity mm-hmm. of connection you can't fabricate that with a huge budget in a setup situation and so telling the story it's less about telling the story as it is about making it mm-hmm. into something that everyone or not everyone but a certain p- group of people is looking to fulfill their sense of purpose or their place in community and that they they are part of the community by voting with their dollars in a way that supports the community and that they get to be part of our ranch. And mm-hmm. when they buy cashmere sweaters that came from this place or when they want to eat our beef jerky or meat, that that they are supporting and part of a place that's doing things that make their fulfill their purpose and yeah. fulfill their community and reflects their values but the story that you it's less about the story as it is about making it which is probably why you know finding cashmere or being able to make cashmere in the u.s is different than being able to make cashmere in mongolia even if it is the same you know exact same goats and they're doing exact same kind of work it's that it's this place that's close and home and community I think it's amazing. I think there is such an incredible story here. You know, I'm a very thoughtful fashion designer and a very thoughtful land manager and rancher. And the fact that 
from totally different worlds, you could come yeah. together and create well, something. Well, Jane, your um, like one of your knacks in life <laughs> are connecting people and bringing specifically bringing really amazing women with yes. diverse but powerful minds and careers and capabilities together in ways that like create these projects. So. Um, I'm not. I'm not surprised that you were able to find like the <laughs> only you. person in the United States is looking for cashmere, <laughs> with the only person in the United States making that's it. Great. It's, it's, that's great. Why well, I'm not surprised that you happen to be the one to connect them. <laughs> Thank you. I I just I love hearing about problems and hearing and figuring out like oh wait you know the solution and I think if we all pay attention it, it happens all the time. Um, I think there is just an incredible story here. It started you know, in a coffee shop in Seattle, just mm-hmm. catching up, a random comment, and it's, yeah. it's brought us to the middle of nowhere. We're in Lone Tree, Wyoming, you know, what, population 25? Yeah, max. Plus, yeah. Six of them live here on the ranch. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, who knows what else is possible? You know, Shonda, it's like, whoever thought you would create a clothing line? Or so when I met yeah. you, whoever thought you'd be running an organic cattle ranch. So With cashmere goats. With cashmere goats. Um, so I love it. I, I'm so excited to see where this journey takes us. It's amazing we were able to come here this weekend. So amazing. Um, you both talked about the importance of what you're doing with your kids. My parents, my actually my, my boyfriend and I, both of our parents were entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, for better or worse for us growing up, we were the uh, unwitting victims of, of their need for um, resources at whatever time. My, my boyfriend uh, worked in his parents' donut shops, and my parents had a, a local diner restaurant in our small town. But they taught us this great work ethic that I don't think our, our child is seeing as we both go to work in our high-tech jobs. He sees us go off and to these buildings, and sometimes we talk about, you know hollow lenses or um, whatever kind of technology, but there's no there's no skin in the game for him. I, I think about what my son learns from what I'm doing, and if I, you know, if I'm making something that we can't be proud of, like I, it's important for me for for him to see what what, what I'm doing, what we what we might be doing together someday, and be proud of that. And ultimately, I would the the greatest testament to what we're doing would be that. We're creating a cashmere sweater that someone buys, and they wear it forever and pass it on to their kids at some point, and, and that would just be a great legacy. All right. Um, Marissa, one final question. Um, as you are one of the humble ranchers that you mentioned at the beginning, your family is doing something different here um, at Lone Tree, um, and it's sometimes the more difficult path. So what keeps you going? What keeps you on this path? I think what keeps me ranching and ranching in the way that we choose to go about it is that connection to nature and being part of something bigger than us. What keeps us having cashmere goats or keep, you know, down this path is sort of a, a draw to the old but new the unknown and the special fiber that we haven't you know been able to move away from awesome um well thank you guys both again um i know there's a bar hidden 
on the ranch somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's time to go find it. Sounds good. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Jancy. Thanks for tuning in to my latest adventure in understanding the story behind the clothes we wear, because I truly believe we can have beautiful things without harm. To see the mindful, beautiful clothing and learn more about Boyette Clothing, visit their website at shopboyette.com. That's B-O-Y-E-T-T-E. And find them on Instagram at boyette underscore clothing. And to see the goats and learn more about the sustainable ranching practices at Lone Tree, visit their website at lonetree-ranch.com. And follow them on Instagram at lonetreeranchwyo. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. As always, the story continues on our Instagram page at itmatterswear, W-E-A-R. Give us a follow and join the conversation. We'll talk about the episode, share some photos, and ask you to share anything you'd like to learn more about. Join us next time as we continue our exploration behind the scenes and pull the threads on the stories behind our clothing.